son. Luke 7, 11 to 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nan, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier. They were carrying him on and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word has power. Your word has life. Use your word to speak powerfully life into your people today. Amen. Well, we continue in our series looking at the miracles of Jesus. And we are building up to that most amazing miracle on the Easter weekend where Jesus was risen from the grave. But today we look at another, a miracle of Jesus actually raising uh, a boy from death or a young man. And as we do each week, we just look and explore at the Bible and what it has to say and really try and understand what's happening in the passage and then consider what, what relevance does that have for us today, here and now. What does that mean? Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nan, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. When I read this passage, the first thing that strikes me in these first few verses are there are two large crowds that we read of. Uh, two, in a sense, very opposing crowds. We, we read of one large crowd following Jesus. And this crowd, if you will, represents life. Jesus said of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so there is a large crowd of people, if you will, journeying towards and journeying with life. But we also read of another large crowd who, in effect, are journeying with and towards death. 
a boy. We don't know how old he is. He has died. And there is, in a sense, a large funeral procession towards the gravesite. And, and as you read the text, these two crowds are getting closer and closer to one another. And they meet. And in this moment, two sons meet. You have this crowd of death and you have this crowd of life. And spiritually speaking, you can only ever be in one of two crowds. You are either effectively journeying towards death or you are journeying with and towards life. Journey with Jesus. (laughs) Journey with life. Journey towards life. The only son of God meets the only son of a a widow. One of those only sons is dead, but his destiny is soon to be life. Another one of those sons is alive, but his destiny is very soon to be death. As the shadow of the cross is very much in view in this passage This poor woman, who is a widow, has lost her only son. And what's interesting is that in Jewish tradition, the burial of a person who has died would take place the very same day that person had died. So can you imagine the trauma that this woman was experiencing? Her son had literally died that morning. She hasn't even had a day to try and process what this means for her moving forwards. And the trauma in this moment for this woman is surreal. She is now journeying towards the same gravesite, no doubt, where her husband had also been buried, and she will not only be confronted with the death of her son, but she will also be confronted yet again with the death of her husband. This woman faced economic peril in a society that had no social welfare for widows. She had lost her only potential future source of income and support. In a sense, she too has died. And Jesus sees this woman in what is a very large crowd because we, Luke has gone to the extent to mention that both crowds were large. We have a large crowd with Jesus. We have a large crowd with the, with the boy. And we have this one woman. And I have this picture of this dear woman who is in the midst of two very large crowds, now one large, large crowd, ginormous crowd. And in a sense, I think about this woman. She is surrounded by so many people, and yet how alone would she have been feeling in this moment? (laughs) And isn't that true of us sometimes? We might be surrounded by people and yet feel so terribly alone. 
And Jesus sees the agony, he sees the pain, he sees the heartache, he sees the turmoil, and his heart is moved to compassion. And not in any way being insensitive, but in every way wanting to be caring and wanting to bring life to this situation, he simply says to the woman, don't cry. Two very simple yet very powerful words because Jesus is the only person who has the ability and the power and the authority to alter this situation and turn those women's tears of sadness and sorrow into tears of joy and happiness. Now you will see in verse 13 that Luke has referred to Jesus as Lord. When the Lord saw her, Luke is the only writer who will refer to Jesus as Lord before his resurrection. And what Luke is doing here is he is demonstrating the power and the authority that Jesus has over death. And he's going to exercise that authority. Then he went up and touched the bier. They were carrying him on and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. So if you can imagine, the, 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 the beer, what it's referred to there is effectively like a plank, uh, just the, the open base of a coffin and the practice was to lay the the dead person down they would have traditionally been wrapped in cloth and to effectively carry that body with these planks like with pallbearers to the the grave site or the, the burial site where the body would be laid to rest and to touch that would make a person ceremonially unclean you have to go through a whole process of cleansing yourself before you could go to the temple and I see here uh, one, of the, one of the ways that Jesus, that Luke foreshadows the cross of Jesus. Here we see Jesus fully prepared to make himself unclean so that somebody may be made clean and whole. And this is what Christ did on the cross. He took all of the sin of the world upon himself, the, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, took all of the sin and the shame upon himself so that all who place their faith and trust in him may be made whole and clean. Jesus doesn't hesitate. He doesn't think twice about this. This is who he is. We, we see, we know that God is love. But in this very moment, we see Jesus expressing what God is love looks like. God is love has deep, deep compassion. God is love is prepared to make one's, is prepared to put oneself out for the benefit of another. We see here too the power of the word of God. All Jesus does is speak. He speaks. The very word of God has the power and the authority to confront the enemy, death. And in a sense we see not only two crowds and two sons, but we see two enemies. We see life and we see death. And Jesus confronts death with the power of his spoken word. And in a sense, Jesus 
reaches into death and draws forth life. Jesus has the power to reverse death. And Jesus speaks to the boy standing. And then in a sense, the boy mimics Jesus. He stands and he speaks back to him. And these two very actions immediately prove that the boy is no longer dead. He is alive. And then this is beautiful. Verse 15, the dead man sits up and began to talk. And Jesus gives him back to his mother. And, and I read that and I, I reflect on that and I think of a midwife handing a newborn child to its mother for the first time. All of the pain and the trauma and the grief that she has just been through suddenly transforms and changes into this moment of joy and total transformation because new life has been brought forth. This child has literally come through the darkness of the womb into the light of day and is given to the mother. And in a sense, there were two deaths in this story. Of course, the death of the son, but also the death of this woman. And Jesus has now re-given life, new birth, new life. The son, of course, experiences new life as he is raised to life. But the woman also experiences new life as she is now given hope. And she has given her son, and she can see a future again that had been taken away from her. Isn't it awesome, the power that the spoken word of God has over death? They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Now, the reason that the people here refer to Jesus as a great prophet is because in 1 Kings chapter 4 and in 2 sorry, 1 Kings chapter 14 and in 2 Kings chapter 4, we have Elijah the prophet and Elisha the prophet both raising the dead son of a widow. And Jesus is, in a sense, again, fulfilling the prophets of the Old Testament demonstrating the power and the authority that God has over death, they still don't yet see that Jesus is the Messiah. He is a great prophet. He is one like Elijah. But we, of course, know the full story, and we know that Jesus was more than a prophet. But, of course, dramatic news like this would have spread far and wide through the surrounding country. What does this passage of Scripture have to say to us today? The first thing that we see in this passage is Jesus takes the initiative. There was no response of faith on part on behalf of the woman or of the son. Now, oftentimes when miracles occur in the Bible, it is because someone has exercised an element of faith that Jesus responds to. Sometimes that faith might be as small as a mustard seed. Other times it might be quite large. But in this instance, it's actually Jesus, moved by compassion, who takes the initiative to bring about a great miracle. You know, and we, again, we might look at people, we might look at situations, and we might think that situation or that person is so far 
from having their life turned around from receiving the grace of God. Jesus can take the initiative himself. God might take the initiative and change a person's life dramatically without even a skerrick of faith, just because of who God is and his goodness. All faith is a gift from God. It's nothing that you and I have done in and of itself. Even to exercise faith in God is a gift from God. We see that Jesus takes the initiative. Secondly, knowing Jesus brings hope to tragedy. And of course, there is broad implication here. We might not find ourselves in the situation that this desperate widow did, but we at times all find ourselves in situations that are tragic, that are difficult. They may be physical challenges. They may be mental challenges. They may be relational or emotional challenges. But if we know Jesus, we know hope. We don't live in despair and constant fear because with Jesus there is always hope. Hope that Jesus can reach into the death of that situation and draw forth life. Knowing Jesus brings hope. And if you're somebody who knows Jesus, then in a sense, whatever comes in life, whatever comes in life, there is always hope because you are effectively walking with the one who is the life and you are walking with the one who gives life. Finally, this is a beautiful picture similar to last week of salvation. We can't do anything to earn our way to heaven. We can't do anything to prove to God that we are good. Salvation is a gift entirely initiated by God. Just as the paralytic was lit, was let down through the roof and he had no way of getting to Jesus, a person who is dead certainly has no way of getting to Jesus. But Jesus takes the initiative. Jesus brings life out of death and brings this person into his kingdom, into his fold, if you will. What a wonderful encouragement for us. Ephesians 2.1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. In our state of sinfulness, there was nothing we could do before God to bring about life and transformation and salvation. A dead person can't even ask for help. The paralytic at least had his words. But a dead person has zero. They have no way of relating to or communicating with God. The salvation that we received is a result not of anything we have done, but the love and the compassion of Jesus who pours himself out, who touches our uncleanliness so that we might be healed, so that we might be saved. We cannot earn life in Christ it is a beautiful gift. Let me finish with Romans 5, 6, 8. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, when you and I, spiritually speaking, were on those planks being carried to our gravesite, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Hallelujah. This is good news. And Lord, we are grateful. And every time we gather at the Lord's table, we have the privilege and the opportunity to receive that gift again and to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your bread, your, the bread that represents your broken body. And thank you, Lord, for the cup that represents your shed blood. Men and women of God, this is the body of Christ that was shed for you. This is the blood of Christ that was shed for you. When we come to the table, I wanted to finish with this. We generally... um, Oh, sorry, Dave. It's all right. We'll leave that one for after. That's it. When we come to the table, we often say grace. When we come to this table, we receive grace. I don't know where you're at this morning in your walk with God. There may be somebody here who has not yet put their faith and their trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. I don't want to assume that everybody is in the crowd that is walking with Jesus. You might in fact be someone who's in the crowd who is walking towards the gravesite. You are effectively walking towards an eternal separation from God. You are either with Jesus walking towards life or you are walking away from Jesus towards death. You may have heard this before, but wherever you're at on your journey with God this morning, you actually have a moment, an opportunity now to respond. This table is an open invitation. And if you would like to receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour, And so I want to turn from my sinful ways. I want to say goodbye to the life of death and say hello to the life of life with Jesus, life eternal. Then Jesus sacrificed his life that you may live. And you'll have an opportunity. You'll have the opportunity to receive the bread and to receive the cup. And what a beautiful moment in the quietness of your heart to accept the bread and to accept the cup. And by doing so, receive new life. That new life is offered to all. And so I I put that invitation out there this morning. Let me pray and then we'll receive the Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, as we've acknowledged this morning, we were all lost in our sins. We were all spiritually dead heading towards an eternal separation from you. But then, Jesus, you took the initiative. By your goodness and your grace, you made a way for us to place our trust in you. 
You took the initiative, Lord, as the sinless, spotless Lamb of God to go to the cross and take upon yourself all of the sin and the shame and the guilt of all humanity. But before you did, you sat around a table with your disciples and you invited them whenever they broke bread and, and drank from the cup to remember the sacrifice you made, to be grateful for it and then to go and live their lives in light of that. And we want to do the same this morning. We want to eat and drink with gratitude and thankfulness. And we want to live our lives in response to your loving sacrifice for us. Thank you for your grace that we don't deserve, but you took the initiative to extend to us. We receive the bread and the cup this morning with great humility, with great repentance, and with great joy for the life that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen.